Thanks, Natalie. We were praying before the, the service, and uh, one of our prayer team members just used this phrase, a uh, basket full of prayer. And that stuck with me, this idea, uh, it made me think of Revelation and the bowl and the harps and, and the prayers of the saints go like incense before the Lord. And so, um, so that's my desire when there's some things happening around the world that are really uniting all of us, that we're filling the bowl with incense of prayers, that we're on a daily basis offering those prayers up. So just as Natalie prayed for Afghanistan, you can pray those prayers uh, daily, just continuing to lift up um, Afghanistan, whatever events are in your life. Would you join me in that ministry of prayer? All right, we are, we are in uh, chapter uh, 9 of Joshua. Would you turn with me there? I wanted to start with a somewhat of an interesting story, an illegal story to a certain degree on my part. I was very young, and does anyone remember the, the uh, Tears for Fears, the band Tears for Fears? They were huge in the 80s. Oh, yeah. I think they're still around. I don't know. But, but we heard that Tears for Fears were coming to Chicago, and it was our desire to go see them in concert. We did have one problem. Well, two. My friend and I, John, we couldn't drive yet, and we didn't have any tickets. But that didn't stop us, so we connected with John's older brother who did drive. He brought a friend, so the four of us drove to Chicago in great hopes that we would score some tickets. We, we got there, and his, his brother and friend, they said, John, Eric, you guys jump out and see if you can grab some tickets. We'll find parking for the car. So there were, I don't know if there's scalpers today, that's what we used to call them. It's illegal, you're not supposed to sell the tickets, you're not supposed to buy the tickets, right? And so there's these folks that are scalping tickets, and so we came to this uh, young adult, he was probably 23, 24, and we're like, we need four tickets, and he says, I've got four tickets for you, and we're like, okay. And he said, listen, we, can we walk somewhere away from the cops, of course, so we follow him. I know some of you, the yellow flags are going up, right? <laughs> so we're walking a bit, and then we're walking some more, and then we, you know, we keep walking. We don't want him to get in trouble at all. Finally, John's brother, they had parked the car. We were walking so long, and they're like, hey, no farther. So we're like, all right, no, no farther. And so he says... Let's see your money. So I pull out of my pocket. As I pull out of my pocket, he grabs the bill and he goes, what, is, what bill is that? It's a 20. And right then, I know I was slow to the party. <laughs> I was like, this isn't going to go well. He's going to take off and run. And my friend John, he pulls out his cash, and the young adult grabs the cash and runs. Now, I was like, he's going to run. So as soon as he ran, I am right after him. I'm right behind him. I'm literally one step away from being close enough to grab him. My only satisfaction in this whole bitter story 
is when he turned, he had run about 50 yards, he turns to see how far back, and I saw his eyes widened with fear <laughs> that I was so close. And we were running, and then John's older brother, who had a little bit of wisdom, said, stop running, let him go. So I stopped running, and I looked up, and we were in a very bad area of Chicago. And so we got out of there rather quickly. And uh, the other silver lining of the story is as we're walking past hearing the music with no money and no tickets, there was a $5 bill on the ground that I paid. I mean, maybe the grace of God. I don't know if that was, but I still remember that bill. So I tell this story because I believe that there is, it's connected to a central part of the Christian faith that I think God invites us to, that he, when we turn our lives to Christ, when we are walking with him, he invites us to become people who walk in wisdom and discernment. He invites us to, to be learning and growing, and not just any wisdom, not just wisdom with age, but I would say we're going to see in the story before us a, a wisdom that maybe, have you heard the phrase, wise beyond their years? A, a wisdom beyond your life circumstance, beyond your experiences, a, a wisdom beyond your education or learning, a wisdom you could call call that is from God, that is from the Spirit, that he invites us to live our lives, that the Christians would be the wisest people on the face of the earth because they're wise beyond normal circumstances or life experiences. Their, their wisdom is coming from and really flowing from the Lord. So as we turn to, to Joshua 9, we're going we're gonna to talk quite a bit about wisdom and discernment, discernment being a part of wisdom, I would call. But then also we're going to do something else. Need to change that? Is there any? All right. All right. Apparently, the Lord wants you to pay attention to this next part. No pressure. So we are going to talk about uh, wisdom and discernment, but I'm also going to ask a question. Is there any time a circumstance that trickery and deception and a ruse is a good thing? That God can use that. All right. Those are our two focuses. As we turn, we're going to try and read the, the whole chapter of Joshua chapter 9. Again, a little context. They had conquered Jericho, and yet Achan had held back some of the material possessions. And... Uh, and so they go to Ai to conquer Ai, and they're routed because of Achan's sin. They deal with the sin. We looked at that last week, and then and take uh, renew their covenant. So all seems to be good for the Israelites. They they've conquered again. There's fear again. However, 
they were beat. So as Joshua feared and predicted that some of the kings west of the Jordan are like, hey, we might be able to beat them. So verse 9, chapter 9, verse 1. Now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, the kings in the hill country and the western foothills and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far as Lebanon, the king of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, say that five times really fast, they came together to wage war against Joshua, and Israel. However, there's one group that decided to handle the Israelites slightly different. When the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse, some trickery, and some deception. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All of the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, we have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. The Israelites said to the Hivites, but perhaps you live near us. So how can we make a treaty with you? The Lord told them specifically not to make people a treaty with the people who live in the promised land. We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, who are you and where do you come from? They answered, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan. Sihon and king of Heshbon, the Og king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, take provisions for your journey. Go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that are filled Uh, We're new, but see how cracked they are. And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. That's verse 14. If you have a highlighter in your own Bible, I would suggest that you highlight verse 14. Now, they're going to make a treaty, a peace treaty with the Gibeonites. They go back short trip, it tur- they then find out that Gibeonites, it was a ruse, in fact, they do live in the promised land. Jumping to verse 19, the whole assembly grumbled against the leaders of Israel. All of the leaders answered, these are the Israelite leaders, we have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, we cannot touch them now. This is what we will do to them. Right? The people want to conquer the Gibeonites. They're part of the people that are supposed to be conquered. But the Israelites are saying, uh, we made a covenant and an oath with them. We can't. This is what we will do instead. We will let them live 
so that God's wrath will not fall upon us for breaking the oath we swore to them. Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers in the service of the whole assembly. So the leader's promise to them was kept. Then Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said, Why did you deceive us by saying we live a long way from you while you actually you live near us? You are now under a curse. You will never be released from service as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. Verse 24, they answered Joshua, your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servants Moses, his servant Moses, to give you the whole land and to wipe out all its inhabitants from beyond, before you. So we feared for our lives because of you. And, and that is why we did this. We are now in your hands. Do to us whatever seems good and right to you. So Joshua saved them from Israel, the Israelites, and they did not kill them. That day they made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the assembly to provide for the needs of the altar of the Lord at the place the Lord would choose. And that is what they are to this day. All right, an interesting chapter in the midst of the story of Joshua. Again, they are conquering, they're, they are taking over, they're following the promises that God had made and the instructions that God had made. Part of that was make no covenant with the people that live in the land and in fact they're tricked. And oftentimes scripture, especially these historical books, they don't tell you what the application is. That you have to pray and bring wisdom and go, wait, was that a bad thing or a good thing? All right? It's interesting in this story, the inspired author stops and goes, hey, the, here's the application, the primary application. You know what verse that was? I asked you to highlight it. Verse 14, let's read that. See, some of the questions, you, if you're paying attention, you'll get, yes? Verse 14, it says, the author says, the Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Sometimes I think about the angels watching this unfold, and they must have been, come, guys, you... You just messed up with AI. Like, a, it's a big deal. Like, pay attention. Would you inquire of the Lord for crying out loud? Right? And it's interesting to note and pay attention that, yes, they asked. They, they did due diligence. They, they looked at the bread. They looked at the clothes. They sampled that. However... That wasn't enough. They didn't ask. God, what do you think about this circumstance? Is there something we're not seeing? Again, within Scripture, there is this consistent emphasis and invitation, invitation to you and me 
that we would, part of the Christian life, is that we would step into God's wisdom, discernment, and understanding. That this is who he invites us to be. That's why there's uh, books that make up a genre, a whole genre of scripture that is wisdom literature. Because it reflects the wisdom of God that he invites us to. Listen to uh, Proverbs 3, 23, 23. My son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserve sound judgment and discretion. All these are elements of wisdom. That word discretion can be translated discernment or prudence saying listen hold on don't lose sight hold on to this sound judgment persevere in discernment be prudent in this broken world they will be life for you an ornament to grace your neck then you will go on your way in safety and your foot will not stumble there's this invitation god is saying this is for you i want this in fact god gives us two really significant resources that we would grow in wisdom that we would become a people of wisdom. Those two resources are, you can probably guess, one is the Word of God. That's the revelation of God. That's the, the wisdom of God. He has spoke. He inspired. He filled with his spirit. These, these authors have crossed the ages, and he's, he's pouring out. That's why he says to Joshua and the Israelites, he says, be careful, obey, read, meditate night and day. If you want to grow in wisdom, again, beyond worldly wisdom, beyond your life experience, I know some people that I would consider wise, but not spiritually wise. They're not reading the revelation of God and learning and growing in the ways of wisdom. One resource is the word of God. The second resource is the easy one too, I would say, right? You know we have a counselor, we have an advocate, we have the one who inspired the word of God living inside of you. We have the Holy Spirit who is speaking to us and wanting to provide guidance and direction to remind us of the truth that we have that. Did Joshua have the spirit of God? He did. Did he ask the Spirit of God? He did not. Right? I would argue that Joshua here is illustrating a truth that many of us as Christians, perhaps we're growing in wisdom. Most all of us are trying to be wise people but we're not asking the Lord. We're not saying, Lord, I, 
Or there's areas of in our life where we're like, you know what, God, I'm going to ask you for this, but I've got this. I'm good. Yes? One of the beautiful prayers in the Old Testament is when Solomon, actually the inspired author of many of the books, uh, the wisdom literature of Scripture. Solomon is made uh, king after David, and he, he builds the temple, and then uh, he prays. Uh, bonus, this is not an easy question. Anyone know where he's praying? He's, he's praying in Gibeon. And he's praying, and the Lord uh, appears to him in a dream, and he says, Solomon, you've blessed me with the building of the temple. I'm going to give you anything that you want. Ask for it, and I'll give it to you. You remember what Solomon prayed? Praise this. Um, give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. What a humble prayer. What a beautiful prayer. You know what God, how he answers? Because you prayed that, Solomon, and not for, for wealth and honor, I'm going to make you the wisest person to ever live. And I'm going to give you also wealth and honor. I'm going to give you what you asked for, and I'm going to give you what you didn't ask for. So a little additional hint, a little application. If God ever appears to you and asks you what you want, discerning heart is that, right? This is what God is saying. Yes, that, that pleased the heart of the Father to see someone go, God, I, I, I just... I, I know that I, I don't get it. I don't know. I know that I don't understand all these aspects in the world. Lord, would you give me a discerning heart? A beautiful prayer. I believe that Solomon was playing, even though, unfortunately, the story of Solomon is he was given this great wisdom, but then did not walk in the wisdom of God. So he's illustrating that we ask for God's wisdom and then we walk in that wisdom that he invites us to pray about every area of our life, not just the big stuff, but in the relationships, in parenting, in the work, in the day-to-day, -day, the Spirit of God is given to us to live moment by moment. And I think he's inviting us to have that wisdom and direction that comes only from inquiring of him. I uh, asked Josh Osborne if I could use a story from his family uh, for the pulpit. He said yes. Um, so uh, Josh is part of our Kingdom Life community. And our Kingdom Life community happens to pray a lot for our kids. Uh, we've got some young kids. We've got some older kids. We just pray a lot for our kids. 
And uh, so we had prayed for the Osborne's kids. And one Kingdom Life community, we, we still meet at the church, so we use the nursery. And I see one of their little guys walking in with a smile and a book under his arm. He was like, this is great. And I'm like, hey, buddy, what do you got there? And he opens it up, and it's a children's Bible. And we had actually prayed for him a couple of weeks ago or a month ago, and that was interesting. So I was so moved by that. I asked Josh while we were in our KLC, and he said, you know, you guys know, been wrestling and struggling, and Josh was just saying, I want to be a better parent to him and having struggles. And so I was praying about this circumstance, and the Lord gave me a picture of Josh buying uh, all three of their kids a little children's Bible. And he felt like that was somewhat odd, like that's not going to address some of the behavioral things I'm trying to work on, but he did. And for the little guy, he, I, I don't want to use his name so no one goes up to him and goes that, but um, he started reading and now he loves his children Bible. He, he reads it in the morning and he reads it when he goes to bed. And in fact, Josh just told me has he finished four already? He's finished four children's Bibles, so they have to keep purchasing new children's Bible for him because he's reading. I know. Isn't that neat? I'm going to tell Renee, our children's director, that he can start teaching soon up in, in children's ministry, right? He's through that. But I thought, what a beautiful example of Josh, modern-day Josh, not ancient Joshua, modern-day Josh going, you know what, I'm going to bring this parenting issue to the Lord and see what he has to say. Can you imagine if we brought every aspect of our lives, every struggle that we were having, if we brought that and said, Lord, what am I to do about this? How, how do you want me to live out? And maybe there's something that he has that's unexpected that we wouldn't normally, in fact, usually I know that's when it's the Holy Spirit when I know that's not something I would come up with. Question for you in your bulletin. Is there an area of your life that you are trusting only in your own wisdom and not seeking the Lord on. Maybe it's career. Maybe it's the direction of your life. Maybe it's a big thing. Maybe it's a smaller thing. How do I care for my parents? What, what do I do in this workplace that I'm struggling in? Maybe we're trying to use our own wisdom when in fact, perhaps the angels are looking down and going, oi, they come on. Ask, ask. In fact, James, again, he tells us directly, if you lack wisdom, what's he say to do? Ask, ask the question. I came across this pretty neat help um, I did not bring one up with me to the pulpit, but we, we've got um, 
there was, I was studying and preparing for the message, and there is a little help that comes from uh, uh, St. Ignatius. Some of you know Ignatian spirituality is a kind of a, an area of, it's, it's more uh, Catholic, but it's Christian, and people are growing as something called spiritual exercises. And I was reading, and um, there was a summation of some of his writing. Oh, thank you, Natalie. The summation called um, The Seven Attitudes or Qualities of an Authentic Discernment Process. Seven Attributes or Qualities of an Authentic Discernment Process. I think what drew me was the authentic process because often when I'm having a disagreement with someone and they've asked me for some counsel but they've already decided what to do. Have you ever had any of those experiences? And they ask me and they say, um, okay, what do you think? But I prayed about it, so. Because oftentimes we pray to find justification for a decision that we've already made. Yeah? Amen to that. Yes. But, but that's, you can pray in a different way where you're actually saying, God, I, I want your wisdom and, and your counsel and your direction on this. I have a couple of copies uh, on the Welcome Center. You guys online, if you want to uh, let us know. We can, we can give you a copy. I'm just going to read the attributes. You don't have to, well, you can write them down if you want, but I'm going to go really quickly through them. But just think about this process. An openness, of course, that you haven't predecided. A generosity, interesting. A courage, maybe God's asking you to do something that is going to be hard. Is not the easy answer. Will you bring a sense of courage? An interior freedom that you're recognizing and naming some of your own wants and desires and passions. A habit of prayerful reflection on one's experience. That's where you're laying that down, that question in your they recommend 20 minutes on a regular basis, just laying it down. Having one's priority straight. Are you prioritizing your happiness or the will of God? Not confusing ends with means. All of those things. I'm not going to break into that. But again, this idea of God is saying, I'm inviting you to be spiritually wise people. Would you walk in that way? I shared this with our consistory. I was thinking about our denominational question of whether we stay within the denomination or leave. And what denomination, if we do go, that we would go to. I don't want to make a decision just based on some good research and what we think the, the best denomination is out there. I don't. I, I don't want to leave or stay just because we think it's, you know, 
a, a good thing. Yeah, we'll try that. We want to be led by the Lord on this decision. Okay. So, the obvious lesson, verse 14, bam, there, right there, yes, he's inviting us to be wise and discerning, to inquire of the Lord in every circumstance. However, I think that's the obvious application. I think there's some subtle lessons here that I didn't want us to miss. It's a little bit more challenging to open up. But we started the message asking, one of the questions is, is craftiness, even deception or shrewdness ever a good thing or a thing blessed by God? And I ask that question because the Gibeonites, they, they use a ruse, they use deception, and it turns out pretty good for them. Like, they're not destroyed. They're not killed. Yes, there is a curse that's put on them that they would be wood cutters and, and water carriers. We, we see that in verse 23. So they're uh, assigned and confined to menial labor. And yet, did you notice what they're going to be woodcutters and carriers of waters for? What? The tabernacle, the house of God. So that they not only get now to become part of the people of God, they get to also serve at the tabernacle, which was considered a blessing. And you know what's going to happen the very next chapter? The kings west of the Jordan are going to be so upset that the Gibeonites, that, that they sided with the, uh, the Israelites, that they're going to attack the Gibeonites. And guess what the Gibeonites are going to do? Joshua, help! And Joshua's going to come to their rescue. It turned out pretty good for the Gibeonites. So, was that a good thing that they used deception and a ruse? Is the application, yeah, use some trickery every once in a while. That's an interesting question, isn't it? I would argue this. I think there's two important lessons, though subtle is one is this idea of when even shrewdness or trickery or ruse leads to life and faith. God would bless it. And then also I'm going to say a word about shrewdness. So again, this idea of craftiness and shrewdness, if it's the purpose of faith. Can I remind you, I think the story of Rahab, the prostitute in Jericho, I remind you of that. Again, it was a surprising story that they spent a little, a lot of time in Scripture, in the book of Joshua, and I think this story matters and, and um, has implications for the rest of the book of Joshua. Do you remember that she was not the right gender for the time? She was not of the right people group of the time. Her culture 
uh, was not, uh, her past and her profession was not the, she was the least likely person that God would be concerned about. However, in the book of Joshua, she professes faith. And God saves her. Says back in in earlier in Joshua, she, she says, testimony, when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you Israelites. And then Rahab says, um, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. She confesses faith then her faith takes some action. She uses a little bit of trickery with the king of Jericho. And then she's saved by Israelites and becomes part of the promised people of that. In the Gibeonite story, we see that. Look at verse 3. Again, verse 3. They had a decision to make. Right? They could side with all the other kings gathering together. Right? Rahab could have sided with Jericho and called out the spies and had the... No, she sides with Israel. She sides with God. The Gibeonites, verse 3, however, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They made a different decision, they said, let's side up with the living God and let's take action. And then also part of their story, they make this choice and then look at verse again, 24 and 25. Joshua says, why did you use deception? And they said, your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and wipe out all its inhabitants for before you. So we feared for our lives because of you, and that is why we did this. We are now in your hands. Do to us whatever seems good and right to you. They said we're going to surrender to God and surrender to the people of God. The same is true of Rahab. The opposite was true of Achan. He was of the right people group, but he rebelled against God rather than surrendered to God. I think there's a powerful message that's flowing through the book of Joshua again and again. And it's really, it feels a lot like a New Testament message. But that message is that God is looking for people who will believe, who will surrender their lives, who will have faith and allow their faith to lead how they live. 
We see this. This is the emphasis in the New Testament, right? This is Paul. He's saying, he argues in different books. He's saying, don't you get it? It doesn't matter the people group that you are. Don't you get it? It doesn't matter rich or poor. It doesn't matter what you've done. What matters is faith. Faith in God. Have you surrendered your life to God? Have you given over your life to God? Paul says in Romans 1.17, for, for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith. From first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul is saying, do you see it? I'm convinced that Paul was looking back at the Old Testament and he was recognizing that he calls it a mystery and he says, this mystery is revealed. Do you believe? Are you living faith or have you received it in vain? The grace of God. I'm convinced that he also saw that in Jesus. I want to Direct your attention to to Jesus, Matthew 15, we have in your bulletin where there is this woman whose whose sister or a daughter, she is demon-possessed. She has no peace. And And she goes to Jesus and says, help, son of David, help. And Jesus doesn't respond. Do you know where she's from? She's a Canaanite. She's a Canaanite. And, and doesn't respond. Again, this is in verse 22. I'll read, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. She's becoming annoying, Jesus. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. I believe what Jesus is doing there is he's presenting her with a cultural understanding and norm. And we've talked about this. When Jesus asks questions that he knows the answers to, what's he doing? So important. He's drawing out faith. I think he's doing the same thing as he presents this cultural norm, what the Israelites would have viewed, what the disciples would have viewed. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me. He replies, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the little dogs. Again, filled with cultural norms. And she says, yes it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. How witty. What a, what a cunning response. Jesus says, woman, you have great faith. You have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed 
at that moment. In fact, Mark's version of the story, he says, because of your response, your wish is granted. I remember reading in that, what, what are we, wittiness? That's what God is rewarding in that? Like she had a, a sweet response to him, so that's why she gets her daughter healed when others don't? No. What was it? It was faith. It was faith in the Lord. It was that God, from the Old Testament to the New Testament to our time now, he is looking for people. Not that are of the right people group or born in the right country or have the right number of wealth or done the right deeds. He's looking for people who will surrender to him who will have faith and live from that place. Here's my question. Are you living by faith? Are you surrendering to God? Are you seeking God's life for you that he died for you? Are you finding a way? The Gibeonites found a way to the grace of God. You can do a lot of what ifs. What if they would have seen the trickery? What if they would have just said, God, help? Maybe there's a, a third way. Hey, we believe we want to be part of the kingdom of God. I don't know how all those what ifs, but here's the story that the Gibeonites in faith found their way to God. Have you? I'm going to leave that final point of the outline just for you guys to contemplate and wrestle with because I want us to pray. The worship team come forward. Lord, we just want to sit in this powerful message of the book of Joshua about faith, Lord. Lord Rahab, she found a way to you. Achan stepped away from you. The Gibeonites They found a way to you that led to life in and around your tabernacle. Lord, we want to be a people of faith, a people of surrender, a people that's turning our hearts towards you We want to be a people of wisdom and discernment that's seeking your understanding about the way we should go. Just anyone in the sanctuary online, you've just stepped away from this life of faith. 
You've been living your life based on your own wisdom, not in God's wisdom. If it's been a very long time since you've just surrendered to God, your life and every area, would you just give him Give him that area. Would you just pray, Lord, whatever you want to do, I, I surrender to you. How you want me to live, God, I surrender to you. To feel his delight. Can we stand together? Give you the, the benediction. You can stay. Worship team will play a final song. We do have partners class, as Natalie mentioned, upstairs in the upper room. Hope if you're new to us, you'll join us up there. So would you go living into the life that God has called you to? Would you go seeking to be a people of wisdom and discernment and discretion? Would you go living as people of faith, trusting, surrendering every area of your life? In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.